Welcome to the You Debate Sports Podcast, the new sports podcast that's bringing the debate to the fans. From football to basketball to baseball, let your voice be heard by joining our community of fans. And now, it's time for your host, Ken Bone. What's up, everybody? I'm Ken Bone. Welcome to the You Debate Sports Podcast. Now, today we're going to get into a little playoff basketball and some reactions from the draft with our five best picks and our five worst picks. But before we do both of those, we're going to get into this strikeout epidemic that's taking baseball by storm. This month of April is going to become the first month in the history of baseball that there will be more strikeouts than there will have been hits. And that's absolutely embarrassing. A two-strike approach is something that hitters need to take pride in. I understand that there's more home runs nowadays. That's what the 0-1 and even 0-0 counts are for. But when it comes to two strikes, hitters need to change their approach. They need to look to battle. At that point, it's a one-on-one competition. Baseball's a very team-oriented sport, but when you get to two strikes in a at-bat, it's a one-on-one competition. It's a battle. And there's so many hitters that just are still either taking home run swings, or it doesn't matter if they strike out. Take, for instance, Joey Gallo, who hit 209 last season, but he hit 40 bombs, so it's okay. But what is that? I mean, look, we look at all-time great hitters. Let's take, for instance, Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols had the combination of power and discipline. I understand now that he's not exactly the best hitter in baseball, hitting around 250. However, that approach throughout his career is the approach that more hitters need to take. Another great example is Joey Votto. Joey Votto's hitting his 35 home runs a year, but he's also hitting above 300. This is because when it comes to two strikes, he chokes up and tries to put the ball in play. That's the approach that more hitters need to take. And that's why Joey Votto is one of the best players in baseball. So anyways, I'll put up a poll on Twitter. Let us know if you guys think that there is a strikeout epidemic in baseball and whether or not it's good for the game. Alright, and that takes us into playoff basketball. I mean, is, is there any really question that LeBron James is the best player in the game right now? I don't think that there should be. I know, I, I understand that there's a debate about whether or not he's the greatest of all time. And there have been some greats in the game of basketball. Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Luol Sindor, Hakeem Olajuwon, Bill Russell, Kobe Bryant. And LeBron James is sure making his case. I understand that he won the seventh game against the Pacers in the first round of the playoffs. But this Pacers team was a very underrated team. Top five in defensive efficiency. And they played well as a team. And LeBron played just about every single minute of Game 7. He was the reason that his team won. It was basically LeBron won Game 7. Not the Cavs. It was LeBron versus the Pacers, and LeBron pulled it off. I get that it's the first round, but wow, that's something spectacular to behold. Now, I am a little bit not worried about LeBron against the Raptors, but it's certainly a different matchup. I think the Raptors can score quite a bit better than the Pacers can, as long as they don't go back to their last year's isolation ball where you put DeRozan on whoever's guarding him and just let him hope that he makes it. If they play the type of basketball they've been playing all season, the Raptors, in which they showed glimpses in their first round matchup against the Wizards, this is going to be quite a tough matchup for LeBron and the Cavs. It'll be the first time that LeBron is not the favorite going into a playoff series before the conference finals since 2008. And for good reason. Toronto has one of the deepest benches, the bench mob, in the entire NBA. So while LeBron's out there playing his 40 
42 minutes, getting extremely tired. The Raptors are going to have fresh players on the court. That's something that, you know, the Pacers didn't exactly have. It was mainly Oladipo, Collison, Turner, Sabonis, and even Thaddeus Young did a great job. And Lance Stevenson. But once you get past those six, it really wasn't that deep. So that's something where the Toronto Raptors have an extreme advantage. So it'll be fun to see how that series plays out. But the other team, extreme disappointment, the Oklahoma City Thunder. They were touted as one of the favorites coming in this year with their big three of Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony. And they didn't get past the first round. They didn't even push it to game seven. Now that's not a diss on Russell Westbrook because Russell Westbrook showed that he is just about as competitive, if not more competitive, than LeBron James. He's one of the most fun players to watch with his speed and tenacity in the open court and the way that he just attacks the rim. I understand that there's an argument that in game six, you know, he took too many shots, but his team won. Excuse me, game five, that he took too many shots, but his team won. So nobody really said anything. But then we come to game six, and Westbrook's still taking 37, 38 shots, scoring 40 points, but his team loses. Now he's criticized? Why don't you take a look at Paul George, who went 2 of 16 shooting and scored only 5 points in an elimination game. What happened to playoff P? What happened to that dude? Or even worse, what happened to Carmelo Anthony? Being paid $28 million and you're on the bench when the Thunder are taking their runs? He's a cancer to the team. His contract just eats up way too much money, and it's not equivalent to the play that he's putting on the court. Now the real question becomes what OKC is going to do moving forward in the next season. And it mainly revolves around what Paul George wants to do. Because Carmelo Anthony is going to come back. He has a player option for another $28 million or so on his contract. He'd be stupid, stupid not to take $28 million after what he just did in the playoffs in the regular season. And Russ is going to be there. We all know that. But what's playoff P going to do? You know, there's an argument that could be made. That he doesn't want to go out on a bad note. That, hey, Paul, you know, if you played well, we could have won that series. So it's kind of on him. But does he really want to go back and play with an aging mellow in a Western Conference that houses the Warriors, the Rockets? I mean, even look at the Utah, Utah Jazz. How good are they going to be next year? Just another year of chemistry, another year of team bonding, another year of experience. They made it further than you. They now have more playoff experience. So it'll be interesting to see what the future is for Paul George. Whether he becomes a Laker, goes back home, whether he does something completely different, or whether he does stay in OKC in hopes that, you know, not after one season we can figure it out, but hopefully in the second season we'll figure it out. But it just shows you how hard it is to build a team dynamic around a big three. Now, let's be honest. Did anybody really have another team beating the Warriors or the Rockets before the conference finals. I mean, these teams whooped on their opponents. The Warriors demolished the Pelicans without Steph Curry, and the Rockets smoked a great defensive Jazz team. And it all kind of comes down to simple math. Three points are greater than two. And that's what both these teams excel at, the Warriors and the Rockets. The Rockets, obviously, shooting more three-pointers this year in the regular season than they did two-pointers and the Warriors with the original blueprint of the Splash Brothers. And neither the Jazz nor the Pelicans are great at shooting the three ball. So they're going to have to score a lot of two-pointers to even have a chance. 
This is why the Rockets bounced the Timberwolves so quickly. The Timberwolves, coming into March, were the three seed in the West, with a big three of Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, and Jimmy Butler. And that's a good team. That's a top three center, one of the best two-way players in the league, and a young, dynamic athlete in Andrew Wiggins. Although he hasn't put everything together, he's still a great player. Excuse me, above average player. And they got smoked in five games, only winning that first home game. It's because they couldn't shoot the three ball. And the Jazz and the Pelicans are going to find out real quickly that if they're not going to be able to shoot the three ball, this series is going to be over in five games max. And that's going to be an outstanding series to watch with the Warriors versus the Rockets. And now I'm not saying the Pelicans or the Jazz can't figure it out. Absolutely they can. But they're swimming upstream. And it's going to be a hard swim, especially if Steph Curry comes back. So that's it for NBA playoffs. Let us know what you guys think on our Twitter or Instagram, at UDebateSports. Or head on over to our website, UDebateSports.com. And let us know what you think about the NBA playoffs. Now we're going to move into some uh, draft reactions. We're going to go our top five best picks versus the top five not-so-great picks. We'll start out with the best picks. We'll go five, starting at five, down through one. So the fifth best pick of the 2018 NFL Draft was center James Daniel, who went in the second round with the seventh pick to the Chicago Bears. Arguably the best center in this class. We had him at two behind Frank Ragnow, who went to the Lions with the 20th overall pick. But many, many people had the Iowa center, James Daniels, as their best center in the class. Now, not only did he go behind Ragnow, but he also went behind Billy Price, who went to the Bengals in the first round. Those other centers are great too, but they don't have nearly the versatility that Daniels has. While Ragnow may be the best center, and... Price is arguably a good center. Him and Daniels are right there, neck and neck. All three of them at center. Daniels is the best and most versatile guard of the three. He not only plays center at an elite level, but you can also move him to the guard position, and he'll be able to play that for you as well. It's because of his athleticism, his ability to move blocks into the secondary, along with his strength and speed at the line of scrimmage. This is a great pick for the Bears. They got a steal in the second round. And they're protecting their young quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. On to the fourth best pick of the NFL draft. It was Darius Geis, running back from LSU, selected in the second round with the 27th pick by the Washington Redskins. Now it was pretty clear that the Washington Redskins needed a running back. And they could have taken Geis with the 14th overall pick. And that would have been a fine pick. It would have been just great. Because Darius Geis is without a doubt the second best running back in the class. Some people, very few, very minimal amount of people, even had Darius Geis above Saquon Barkley. Now that wasn't many, and it probably won't turn out that way. But Darius Geis is a steal with the second round pick. He's a top 10 talent in the draft, any way you want to put it. Geis, the LSU running back, is the only running back in SEC history to record three 250 rush yard games. Not even Bo Jackson did that. Not Herschel Walker, not Mo Williams. Even Ingram and Fournette didn't accomplish that. Two more recent running backs. And a lot of it has to do with his injury concerns. The fact that he likes to run like Fournette and he likes to hit people. But the fact of the matter is, NFL running backs don't last long, anyways. So you'd be lucky to have him 
for his entire rookie contract. That's not an issue. He runs downhill, and he runs with speed. He had some of the best tape of running backs in this class, and other teams are going to be sorry that they passed on him, especially the Seahawks taking Rashad Penny in the first round. Now on to the number three best pick of the NFL draft. It was the Oakland Raiders with their fifth round selection, 140th overall, of defensive tackle Maurice Hurst from Michigan. Hurst is an absolute beast in the trenches and was arguably a top two defensive tackle in this class. Now Vita Vea was definitely the first, he was definitely the best, but then you had others like De'Aaron Payne, Taven Bryant's a special talent, he's going to be good, and Maurice Hurst. Maurice Hurst is an equivalent talent to De'Aaron Payne, if not better. And Maurice Hurst went nearly five rounds later than Payne, who was selected with the 13th overall pick. The reason being is because of his heart condition that he had at the combine. However, medical doctors have cleared him for competition. So when he is able to play in the fall, the Raiders will have had the third best pick of the NFL draft. Now we get into the second best pick of the NFL draft tonight. This is where we start getting the best picks because the Arizona Cardinals at number 10 just got the best quarterback in the draft, arguably. Best pocket passer for sure and most NFL ready with Josh Rosen. They selected the UCLA quarterback 10th overall, trading up only five spots to get him. Now the Cardinals signed Sam Bradford this offseason, but he's not a long-term solution. The Cardinals came into this draft needing a quarterback, and they didn't have the ammunition to move into the top five with picks or talent to get one of those quarterbacks. So many thought that Lamar Jackson would fall here. However, the Cardinals were able to give up a third and a sixth round draft pick to move up to the 10th overall selection and get arguably the best talent in this class. Home run pick for the Cardinals. Absolutely home run. Some people don't like Rosen's attitude, but he tells it how it is. And a lot of young, immature college kids don't know how to take that. So they don't like him. But you just got yourself a franchise quarterback, Arizona. Congratulations. And then there's the best pick of the NFL draft. And it is not even close. Rosen was a great pick. Daniels, Geist, Hurst, all great picks. Not even close to how good the Chargers are coming away with safety Derwin James from Florida State. The third best talent on our big board in this draft. The second best defensive player in the draft. And he goes 17th overall to the Chargers who have a need at safety. Unbelievable. They, they couldn't even have guessed that James would have fallen that far. It's just baffling to me. Not to say that the players before him won't be great, but there is no way the third best talent in the draft should have gone 17th overall to a team that is not only picking the best available talent, but is also filling a need. And this is to a Chargers defense that allowed only the third fewest points per game in the NFL last season. And they added the second best defensive player in the draft with Derwin James, 17th overall. Outstanding Los Angeles Chargers. Outstanding. But unfortunately, where there are good picks, there are bad picks. There are bad picks. So, we'll start off with the fifth worst pick in the NFL draft. And I'm sorry to say that it is Josh Allen to the Buffalo Bills, seventh overall. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that Josh Allen isn't going to be a great quarterback. Absolutely not. He's got the perfect skill set and experience 
to go out to Buffalo and play in the cold weather like that. And he's got the arm strength to rip balls down the field, fit it into tight windows, Hail Marys. He's got a special arm, let me tell you. But to pass up on a quarterback like Josh Rosen, okay, maybe you saw something in Allen that we didn't see. Something that can offset the accuracy concerns. But then there's the fact that the Bills traded up to get him and lost picks. Now, I understand that the Cardinals moved up to 10th to get Rosen, but the Bills traded away not only their 12th overall pick, which is understandable, but two second-round picks with the 56th and 53rd overall selections. And that's just a value that, if you're taking an inaccurate quarterback, is a big risk to give up for a franchise that has a lot of needs. I get the quarterback's one of them, but that's a lot to give up for a quarterback that you don't know how it'll pan out. I guess you don't really know how it'll pan out for anybody, but a quarterback with accuracy concerns is a big risk. Moving on to the number four worst selection, and that's Denzel Ward, fourth fourth overall to the Browns. Now, he's not a bad corner by any stretch of the imagination. Most people had him as the best corner on their big boards. We had him at second best, right behind Jair Alexander. But it was very close. He's an outstanding corner especially with the talent that's come out of Ohio State in the last few years with Marcus Lattimore at the corner position, it's understandable that Ward could be viewed as the best cornerback in this draft. He's also going to be covering Antonio Brown twice a year, and it's a need that the Browns sorely needed to fill. But you can't pass up on Bradley Chubb. Let's look at what the Broncos got with Bradley Chubb. They now have Bradley Chubb on one side and Von Miller rushing the pass on the other side in a pass happy league. This is something that led them to a Super Bowl. This is something that won them a Super Bowl. This is something that the Browns could have had. The Browns could have lined up Miles Garrett, one of the most spectacular talents on the defensive line, with another talent in Bradley Chubb. And that could have been you, Cleveland. But you decided to take a need over a best available player. And that is where the most teams make mistakes. Not to say the Denzel Ward won't work out. It may be a great pick for all we know. We can't predict that. However, it's just extremely difficult to pass up a defensive talent like Bradley Chubb. And that's why that's the fourth worst pick. Not because of Denzel Ward's talent, but because of who was still on the board. That moves us to our third worst pick of the NFL draft. And that's tight end Hayden Hurst from South Carolina. Now, I'm not worried about his age. I think he's 24 or 25. He used to play baseball. Outstanding athlete especially for baseball players who can come into just about any sport and pick it up you know one of the most diverse and mentally tough sports that there is and he's the best tight end in the draft you know Dallas Goddard's right there but for all intents and purposes Hayden Hurst is the best tight end in the draft however you cannot select him in the first round he's not a franchise changing player I understand that the Baltimore Ravens like to force feed their tight ends with Dennis Pitta, but the Ravens have a lot more needs that should have been addressed. And I understand that they had the most picks in the draft, they had the most selections, and they're going to fill the most holes, but they're not filling them with the type of talent you could have gotten with the 25th overall pick. And then they proceeded to, in the third round, take tight end Mark Andrews. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to draft more of a replaceable player in the first round and then draft same position later in the draft 
that's why Baltimore's pick at 25 is the third worst in the draft. The second worst pick is the New Orleans Saints, 14th overall. They traded up. They traded not only their first round pick this year, but their first round pick last year to acquire defensive end Marcus Davenport from University of Texas, San Antonio. Now this kid's a beast. Absolute beast. He's got some of the best abilities that we've seen on the defensive line in terms of pure athleticism in a very long time. This could this kid could be a special talent, but he could also be a huge bust. He is not very skilled coming off the line. And where you can get by on strength and speed at the college level, especially in a conference that isn't even a Power 5 conference, you're not going to be able to do that in the NFL. With coaching and proper technique, Davenport could become a very special talent in the NFL. Don't get me wrong, but there are more home run picks that the Saints could have gone with without trading two first round picks. They're essentially saying that Marcus Davenport is worth two first round picks, and that means that he must be an absolute, without a doubt, slam dunk pick, and he's just not right now. And he could be, don't get me wrong, he could be, certainly, but right now, he is not worth two first round picks. And that brings us to the very worst pick in the NFL draft. The Oakland Raiders, what are you doing? With the 15th overall pick, you traded down. I get it. You traded down with the Cardinals. You didn't need a quarterback. You got Derek Carr. But you decided to select a fourth round talent at the offensive tackle position in Colton Miller. I'm not too concerned with the need. I know that they have decent tackles. It's not a position of necessity, per se. But when you have a quarterback like Derek Carr, you got to keep him upright. So I understand why you would possibly go for a tackle. But I would have been looking at Connor Williams from Texas, or even Orlando Brown from Oklahoma, or even Austin Corbett from Nevada. But with the 15th overall pick in the NFL Draft, The Raiders addressed a position that wasn't a need with a player that was a reach in Colton Miller. Again, not saying that Miller is going to become a bust. He does have a lot of flaws in his game, but he also has a lot of upside. But what the Raiders decided to do with their pick in reaching for talent and not drafting for necessity even, that's what makes this the worst pick in the NFL Draft 2018. So that wraps up this podcast today, guys. I really want to thank you guys for listening. There's so many other podcasts that you guys could be listening to, and I'm glad that you guys decided to come to the U-Debate Sports Podcast. If you guys have any questions, topics for discussion, or debates, head on over to our Instagram or Twitter, at U-Debate Sports, and let us know. And be sure to check out our latest debate on our website on who will have the bigger impact at the end of their career. Ichiro Suzuki, or Shohei Otani. Check it out, let us know. And until next time, happy debating. Peace.